I next met with Ms. Stephanie Andrews, and to begin, she presented a patient from her practice. This was a 58-year-old gentleman. He was diagnosed with stage 4 melanoma with four areas of disease, one to the neck, to the thyroid, sub-Q lesion to the left thigh, and a palpable lesion to the right thigh, which involved the right diaphyseal femur that was about 5.4 centimeters. He was symptomatic. This is a gentleman that required assistive devices to walk because of the pain to the right femur. He began, after he was found to have the BRAF mutation, he began dibrafenib and trametinib after his ejection fraction was found to be normal. And on cycle 1, day 15, the right thigh lesion had decreased by 50%, as well as the left thigh lesion decreasing in size as well. And He had like an immediate response then, huh? Right. And that's one thing that's very common with the BRAF inhibitors is that when you get a response for them, they're quite quick. When we were doing the clinical trials, we were amazed at how rapid people would shrink. We almost thought it was just in our heads. We couldn't believe that we were seeing such rapid shrinkage. And that's not too uncommon when you think about targeted therapy and lung cancer, EGFR mutations, you know, you see this kind of thing when you have the target. This patient you said was symptomatic. Was he on pain medication? He was. He was requiring pain medication. And you said he had a rapid response in terms of the tumor visually actually shrink, the tumor shrinking. Right. What happened to his symptoms as that occurred? His symptoms improved. The pain decreased. And he was able to get off of assistive devices. So he had a a major improvement in terms of quality of life? Yes, in two weeks. Wow. So in terms of his background and family situation, do you know anything about that? Or you may not remember it? Well, I have a little bit. He was married. He had children. And I know he liked the band Leonard Skinner. (laughs) I liked Leonard Skinner, too. How old were his kids? I don't recall. So he, as you point out, sometimes occurs, not unfrequently, with BRAF tumor mutations, had a quick response. And then you say he was treated actually for more than four years, which is incredible. What was going on during those four years? What was his quality of life and functioning like? His quality of life was quite good. The main side effect he had was a few days after the first dose, he had fevers and shaking chills. The fevers continued and the combination was held, and it lasted about three days. The fevers resolved, and he was placed back on the trametinib, and then a couple of days later, back on dibrafenib. And I guess those fevers are not uncommon with that combination. They're not, and they can be quite high. You know, you can get 103. I assume you would do a workup, and that's where the workup was done, rule out an infection, et cetera? Correct. Correct. We work up to rule out any infections, and once that piece is resolved, then basically we just hold off drug until the fevers resolve, and then we can put them back on. So he went back on, and was the dose reduced at any point? He did. He went back on with the dose reduction. In the, like I said, in the additional weeks to follow, he had decrease in his pain. He was able to not need his crutches, and his right thigh mass was about 3.5 centimeters, previously 5.4 centimeters. And the left thigh lesion at that time was difficult to quantify by imaging. So from a lifestyle point of view, what what was he doing at that point? He was able to go back to work quite quickly. What kind of work does he do? He was a real estate agent. Hmm. Wow. Was he able to get off pain medicines? Yes. Hmm. 
Impressive. And as he sort of went into this sort of remission and the dose was adjust in terms of the fever, did he have any other issues with the treatment? He had some mild issues. Further along at week 28, he developed some arthralgias. They were grade one. He had a bilateral extremity rash requiring a Medrol dose pack. At week 40, he developed type 2 diabetes and oral hypoglycemics were started. Was the thinking that this was related to treatment, the corticosteroids, or what? We're thinking that it was related to treatment, as he still requires them. Hmm. And any other issues or side effects? What's his current situation? He went on to have a partial response at week 88, and he has a near-complete response at this time. He's over 250 weeks out. That's more than four years. Wow. Exactly. And there's just, if you look at his scans, there's just a small sliver of disease that's there. But this is somebody that a few years, well, during therapy, he was able to rapidly ambulate without assistive devices, go back to work. And a few years after therapy, he was able to see his last child off to college and go on a dream cruise with his favorite band. Wow. Oh, with Leonard Skinner? Yes. I guess we should point out that this really isn't necessarily the typical in every way. And certainly going almost five years now, doing so well, you see a lot more people who do well for maybe nine months or a year and, you know, frankly, then die. Correct. Correct. Unfortunately, that's still the case. And so clinical trials and research are still ongoing because... The combination with BRAF inhibitors and MEK inhibitors, generally there's progression of disease in six to nine months. So this person was very fortunate. Of course, he is an outlier, but it's a range. It's a range of people that we see. So, But generally, six to nine months is when they may progress and need to go on to another therapy. So he's taking these pills and... Kind of living... Living a normal life. Living a normal life. Wow. So being faced with metastatic disease seems like being a real estate agent, you wouldn't have enough understanding of... I mean, anybody really don't understand what they're facing with metastatic melanoma. Any sense about how this affected him and his family at maybe a deeper level? Well, I mean, it's incredible to see people that before people had melanoma and it was really an automatic death sentence in our minds. It was really discouraging to sometimes to even hear people's dreams because you knew in your heart they weren't going to come to fruition. And now we believe that people are going to live longer, better with quality of life. These are drugs that are very effective and have very low side effect profiles. Both the BRAF-MEC combinations and the immunotherapies, overall, the amount of side effects are low. Of course, if you get side effects, that's a different story, and we have to look into treating those. But it's amazing how many people can go on, and you don't hear the stories of oh, well, I was on this chemotherapy and I spent the next four days with nausea and vomiting, and, or I was in the hospital the next week with neutropenic fever, They're losing more and more time of their life. We want the patients to be home and, and able to live as much of their normal life as possible. 
So just in terms of the spectrum of side effect issues that you see in patients with BRAF tumors that are getting some kind of therapy, now this man's getting, I think for sure, the most common treatment that people get. It's approved, this combination. There are other similar combinations, though, with different drugs that are out there. I'm not sure how much single-agent BRAF inhibitors are being used anymore, but what are some of the things globally that have been seen in patients getting these kinds of treatments? One, and I'm not sure how often it occurs with this combination, has been a problem with sunburn, yes. the sensitivity to the sun. What do you, have you seen and what do you say to patients? I mean, you're, you know, in Florida. I'm in Florida, exactly. So especially being in Florida, the thing about these agents is they do have a lot of photosensitivity. So we tell the patients to make sure to do their normal sun protective things, you know, make sure that they put on sunscreen 30 minutes before they go out, reapply it every hour if they're outside, avoid the sun between the hours of 10 and 4, wear a hat, wear long sleeves. But those are things we're going to tell everybody, me and you, need to be doing those things. When they're on these type of drugs, they can get sunburns with very, very minor sun exposure. So you do have to keep in mind, you don't want to give this to somebody that does outside work for a living, or, you know, is going to have to be outside because they get sunburns in with just minuscule amounts of sun. We've seen people come in with the flip flops and the the burns, just walk into their car, walk into the mailbox, or it's very quick. Any other unusual side effects that you've seen with BRAF inhibitors or MEK inhibitors or the combination? Well, the main thing is the skin toxicities with squamous cell carcinomas of the skin and skin papillomas. Those occur very frequently, and they occur rapidly and with great number. It's kind of amazing. Somebody You can see somebody at one point, and then they just come back a few weeks later, and they could have five or six squamous cell carcinomas. The change is very quick when they get them. The higher-risk patient or patients that have already had a lot of sun exposure previously, when we see these, we simply take them off. These people require dermatologic follow-up. They need a dermatologist before they start therapy and to be seen every two months for screening. And of course, to bring to our attention if they see any new growths on their skin. So I know you have a particular clinical interest in managing side effects. And I was curious what your experience is with checkpoint inhibitors. Let's start out talking about GI toxicity. Well, they initially present with diarrhea. And we're very good about explaining to the patients that we want to know any change in your bowel habits. So I think the first step, though, is to make sure that you document what the patient's normal bowel habits are before you start anything, because otherwise you don't have a baseline. So we start with that, make sure that that's documented, and then they're to call us if they have any change in that an increased number of stools primarily. So if they develop diarrhea, we want them to call right then. We don't want them to think, oh, maybe this will go away, or maybe if I just take a little bit of Imodium, maybe it'll go away and I don't tell my doctor. We make sure to educate them before they leave about Imodium, Lamodal, and they go home with prescriptions in case they need them to have at home to initiate. 
But no matter whether they start the emodium or not, we want them to call us so that we can lead this. We don't want them managing this themselves because if it gets out of hand, I mean, it can lead to bowel perforation, which we have seen. Hmm. And what's the usual management? Well, we start off with the modium and schedule that. If that's not enough, we go to Lamodal. But we make the decisions basically on an every, say, 12 to 16 hours. We want to make sure that that patient calls us early in the morning, not 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We want to know as soon as it starts because if they tell me they've had diarrhea in the morning, we're going to want to know by that afternoon, is there improvement or is it worsening? So once we find out that, if it's worsening, we're going to give them some extra steps as far as, you know, adding on Lamotil. The very next day, if this is still worsening, we're not going to wait around. We're going to bring those people in for steroid therapy, depending on how many stools they're having, because it can rapidly change from somebody having three bowel movements a day to 12. So... Even though it may be just more diarrhea, sometimes the patients won't call. So you almost have to scare them into saying, you know, this can be really serious. It's not the diarrhea that you could get with chemotherapy. It's something that can get out of hand and with these autoimmune responses can lead to serious complications. What about these agents and people who have prior autoimmune problems For example, regional enteritis, Crohn's disease is an autoimmune disease to start with. Can these agents be used in those patients? And if so, what happens? That's being looked at now. Of course, in the clinical trials, they did not allow for autoimmune diseases to be in the clinical trials. I actually was looking at some ASCO abstracts this year, and they have used these agents in very mild rheumatoid arthritis and mild inflammatory bowel-type disease, but it should be used extremely cautiously. Does that apply to other autoimmune diseases? I mean, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, or a lot of autoimmune diseases out there that people have. If a patient had a history of multiple sclerosis, I wouldn't suggest putting them on these therapies. What about other complications that have been seen? I know pneumonitis is something that's uncommon but can be seen. I don't know if you've seen any cases of it. I have. Yeah, pneumonitis can be quite severe, too. I actually had a patient on an anti-PD-1 therapy with pneumonitis that died of the pneumonitis. Again, it's they're very serious, so we're going to look for them to call us if they have any new cough. Of course, if somebody has COPD, this is not a drug you're going to put them on. You just have to kind of look at their history. Any other problems? We were talking before about these thyroid things in terms of pituitary. Your patient kind of had sort of a semi-acute presentation, but I've also heard about people who start slowly developing fatigue and then, you know, found to have hypothyroidism. Have you seen anything like that? Yes, yes. That's very common. One thing we do is when a patient presents and we think they may have one symptom that could stem from the pituitary, we check all the levels because they may not have 
relayed everything. You never really know. So we just want to go ahead and get that ACTH and cortisol, testosterone levels for men, thyroid hormones, and just we basically just test the gamut and see which, is it one that's low or is it multiple? You know, it's interesting. I was looking at, talking about all these things sounds scary, obviously, but when you think about the magnitude of the problem, there were a couple of graphics I saw at the ASCO meeting that really struck me, and this is in lung cancer, and they were comparing the side effects of an anti-PD-1 agent to chemotherapy, was docetaxel. And the chemotherapy was like way more, I mean, we give docetaxel every day, but it was just interesting to see how many problems were in the docetaxel right. group. And in the anti-PD-1, it was like a quarter of that. That's the thing. I do have a very skewed perception of these drugs. My primary role is to treat hospitalized immune-related adverse events. So I don't see the numerous patients that are just going to come in, get their drug, and go home and have no symptoms whatsoever. And that's amazing that people can even come in and have no symptoms. Just get the drug, go home, and it's a good portion. I guess the one thing, though, is you know certainly the anti-PD-1 agents, you hear that story. I mean, that's the norm. People just kind of cruise through it, although right. they can have these problems. Right. Ipilimumab seems like more problems. But it seems like where you really start to see more frequent issues, you know, more like kind of the chemotherapy level is when you combine them. And we're hearing more and more about encouraging data of these combinations. So maybe it is going to end up being more common than it is right now. The combination did show over 60% immune-related adverse events. So it's very, very different when you combine these drugs. So now the clinical trials at this time are looking at sequencing. Should we do an anti-PD-1 first and then an anti-CTLA-4 and then follow it with anti-PD-1 monotherapy or vice versa? What is the sequencing of these drugs? And the ideal combination has not been found, but clinical trials go on. This concludes our program. Special thanks to our faculty, and thank you for listening. This is Dr. Neil Love for Oncology Nursing Update Malignant Melanoma Issue.